Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stacy Fletcher. It's so fun to have so many people in this room. Like I knew that would be a thing when we came to this gathering, but I just didn't know how excited it would make me feel. Um, so I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, I help lead the tech team and the Sunday service planning, so usually I'm in the back. I know the back of every one of your heads so well. But it's really fun to see all of your faces and to be here together. So if you didn't get it yet... Uh, As we step into the second week of Advent, we're talking about peace. peace. Yeah, we're delving into the meaning of the word peace because Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace. So what if you could experience a more continual state of peace because you were trusting that God had you on a journey, a journey to completeness, to wholeness, something that was beautiful and that he was with you. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the idea that peace is a journey to wholeness made possible by the coming of Christ. So you guys pray with me. Father, we uh, just come to you in such need of peace. Our world, everything we look at around us every day, every moment reminds us of our incredible need for you and for the peace that you bring to us and the peace that you bring to this world. And we pray, Father, that as we talk about this, uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Would you show us the things that you have for us? Uh, Would you speak through me? Um, Would you open hearts and minds to the things that you have to say? And we just pray that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's start by looking at the definition of peace. According to the English Dictionary, peace is the absence of conflict or disturbance, a state of tranquility or serenity. And so this idea of peace is something that I crave, something I long for. Um, My family was kind of, there's a lot of peacekeepers in our family. You know, we pick up the rug and sweep everything underneath it. Um, But there's a few uh, very key people in my life, in my upbringing, uh, who have kind of hot tempers, and they could go from nothing to a towering rage in seconds. And so I kind of lived my life in a way where I was just always on guard. What's coming at me? Is this going to be a nice, like, loving moment, or is this going to be a moment of, of fear? And so that produced in me, I've learned, <laughs> um, this state of being constantly in flight or fight. You know, the, um, are, are you guys all familiar with that, that term, flight or fight? So um, it's the idea that when we're faced with things that, um, that you know, t- that, um, that's <laughs> when we're faced with things that uh, would, you know, could kill us. There, there are things for our survival, you know, where our body is awash with adrenaline and with cortisol so that we can run or we can fight. And as we do that, we're just always in this state. Um, but the thing is that part of our brain is not very smart. And so things that actually are not matters of survival at all, we still have this experience of wanting to run or fight. And our bodies are constantly on, on, you know, on, on this high stress mode. And so for me, I'm always in this mode of flight or fight all the time. And so I long for the idea of peace. 
to be tranquil, to be serene, to have the absence of conflict. And I seek it and I search for it. And I think that this had a lot to do with my life in coming to know the Lord, which is this idea of somebody that could bring this peace into my life. So um, I've been on a journey of counseling, and in counseling, you talk a lot about your happy place or your place of peace. And so I want to share with you guys mine. It can be a place that's real or imagined, but my place happens to be real. Isn't it just lovely and tranquil? (sighs) This is my favorite right here at the end, this barn. This is the place I go to in my head. I can smell the water the lily pads, I can see that old rustic barn that I've loved my whole life. I can see the colors of green and the kayak that I'm always in is orange and I can just go to this place of peace. And that's a lot um, of how I've really viewed the word peace. As I've read the, the Bible and I look at different verses about peace, I think about this idea of tranquility, of serenity, of being without conflict. But as I was preparing uh, this message, I started to learn that the actual meaning of the word in the Bible is so much richer. It's so much more than just a place of peace or tranquility. Um, I really like how the Bible Project talks about it, so we're going to watch a little video, and you can learn with me. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. For each other's benefit was that last word there. So something that is complex, that's in a state of completeness or wholeness. To me, this opens up the idea of peace and redefines how I look at so many of the verses in the Bible that are about peace. And so as you look at the overarching story of the Bible, so much of it is about God bringing us on a journey to completeness Um, and a journey to peace, to wholeness. 
But we can only participate in the journey to wholeness by first recognizing that we are broken. You can't, you know, uh, work with God to get to a place, a journey of wholeness, um, unless you're first willing to recognize that we are broken. You see, we live in, uh, or humanity started out in this state of perfection, right? But we, we didn't start out in a state of perfection because of the fall. We started out in a place of brokenness. We came into the world with our, our genetic makeup and some of our emotional, and you know, you can go back chicken and the egg, you know, how much was nurture, how much was nature, but then we were nurtured by people who are broken in a world that is broken. And so as a result, we, each of us, are broken. But we live in a society that says, eh, that's not really okay. You need to always be putting on a good front. You need to not show your broken pieces. Um, does anybody remember uh, Kintsugi? Ryan brought the idea of Kintsugi to us a couple of years back. Anybody remember what it was? Pottery, yeah, Japanese pottery, it's a Japanese art. So we're gonna look at three bowls um, in different states. So the first bowl is the perfect bowl. This is a great bowl. It defines what a bowl should do. It's whole, there are no cracks, there are no, there are no imperfections. You could, you could drink soup out of that bowl, right? You could eat out of that bowl. It lives up to the ideal of what a bowl is supposed to be. The second bowl is the broken bowl. Now this bowl is in, you know, it's got kind of a little pile of shards around it. It's not completely useless. Like you could use that bowl to dip some things out and you could, you know, you could drink out of it if you were really thirsty. Um, but for the most part, there's big pieces that are broken and that need to be restored. And so this is the restored bowl. Isn't it beautiful? So the Japanese art of kintsugi teaches that broken objects are not something to hide or to throw away, but to be restored to wholeness and displayed with pride. So trying to attain perfection keeps us living in unreality and prevents us from the journey to wholeness. Trying to pretend that we are the perfect bowl that we have everything together, that there are no blemishes, that there is nothing wrong with us, keeps us living in unreality and prevents us from journeying into the Lord's peace, into this place of wholeness. Um, so this is definitely, you know, this is my story. I'm a three on the Enneagram and threes want to, how many threes do we have in here? Got a couple threes with me. Not that many, but a few of us. Threes want to achieve. Uh, we want to have success. We are defined by our ability and how we do things well. How many ones on the Enneagram do we have in here? A few. All right. So and, uh, ones literally want perfection. They're always looking for perfection. Threes don't care about actual perfection as long as you think it was pretty perfect. It doesn't actually have to be perfect. You just kind of got to think it is. Ones are like, I don't care if you thought it was good or not. It needs to be perfect. Um, but the thing is, is that our society, even if you aren't a one and you aren't a three, our society is a three. And so this is deeply ingrained in you, that letting people see your brokenness, that living out of a reality that you have brokenness is something that is really frowned upon in our society. Um, and so 
I, uh, you know, I kind of referred a little bit to um, some of my family upbringing. And so I never quite knew if I was going to be in trouble or not. Uh, it was very unpredictable. But I knew that if I performed well, I, they were going to be happy. That was always, always a, a thing that would bring a joy to uh, a lot of my family. And so I really live in this idea of trying to always make everyone else you know, happy and not show my broken parts. Um, Psalm 103, 14 says, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. We are but shards. We are shards that need to be brought into a journey, into a state of kintsugi, of wholeness, wholeness restored, that is so much more beautiful than the, than the original idea of perfection. Lawrence Freeman is a Benedictine monk. Now, I bet you didn't think anybody but Ryan would bring you somebody that's a Benedictine monk, right? Actually, I just Googled, found this quote, and then later was so proud of myself that that's who it turned out to be by. But he is a Benedictine monk who um, really advocates for peace and um, teaches Christian meditation. And he says, wholeness is our capacity to experience health as transcending all limitations while accepting them. So transcending all limitations while accepting them. You cannot transcend the limitations until you first accept them. Overcoming this virus of perfectionism, which keeps us locked into an imaginary world rather than the real world, is paradoxically in accepting limitations that we can transcend them. You see, this idea of perfection isn't true. It isn't our reality. We live in a world that is after the fall. We are not perfect. Our world is not perfect. No one around us is perfect. We are all but piles of shards, right? We are all that. But we tend to live in this virus of perfectionism, keeping us locked into this imaginary world and preventing us from uh, stepping into our journey of wholeness. So we can only participate in a journey to wholeness when we look at the reality, at the reality that our world is broken, at the reality that we are broken, at the reality that the people around us are broken. And as we accept that reality, then we can move in to the next stage of our journey. So I wanna ask you guys just to take a couple of minutes to reflect in yourself and to ask God to show you areas of brokenness that he is ready to restore areas of brokenness that he is ready to restore. Father, would you continue speaking to us about the things that you long to restore in us, areas of brokenness that you long to make whole and more beautiful than ever before. And so then we allow God to restore it. Our journey to wholeness is made possible by the coming of Christ. You see, this is what we celebrate in Advent. This is what we celebrate in this season, that God came, that he's here, and that makes all the difference in the world. You see, we can't restore ourselves to wholeness. This bowl, this broken pile of shards did not make itself into this beautiful bowl restored. 
It took the work of a master craftsman. They didn't, it didn't just happen itself. It was through a craftsman coming and putting it back together. And that's what Jesus did. He came. He came to restore us. So let's take a look at what our friends at the Bible Project have to say about this aspect of peace. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Jesus is the whole complete human that I am made to be but failed to be, and he gives us his life as a gift. Jesus restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creators. Jesus is our erene. Did I get it right this time? <laughs> he is our peace. And we can move into the whole next part of what we're going to talk about only because he came and restored us to peace. So now we have a pretty thorough understanding of what the word peace means and how we're going to look at it. So now let's kind of move into what does that look like to actually live that out? How do we move into this journey of peace? So our journey to wholeness is consistently leaning into the peace of God, uh, the peace of Emmanuel, of God with us. Uh, let's take a look at Luke 2, Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highness and on earth, peace to all those on whom his favor rests. You see, the shepherd's response to the angel was terror. And I mean, I get it. Like, angel comes to me. This is not something that ever happens. I would probably be terrified too. 
But isn't that also true of how we respond to a lot of things in life? A lot of times when we're faced with uncertainty, something new that we don't understand, we respond in terror, in fear. What's the most frequent command in the Bible? Do not be afraid, fear not. Some version of that appears in the Bible more than any other command. Um, The thing that most derails our journey into wholeness, that destroys our serenity, that brings conflict within us and between us is fear. The thing that will most derail your journey to wholeness, that destroys your serenity, that brings conflict between you and within you is fear. Um, Now, the thing about this is that the shepherds didn't say, do not be afraid. There is nothing to fear. They said, do not be afraid because Jesus has come, because your Savior is here, because God is with you. And this is the key to, to walking out this journey to completeness. So over the last about year and a half, most of you who know me know, or I guess it was January of 2017, my dad had a stroke. And that began for me some of the most fearful times of my life. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. Uh, My parents divorced when I was 15. My dad isn't remarried, and my little sister lives in England. So really, it, it it was me to figure out his finances, to figure out his health, to figure out, um, you know, I don't even own a home and now I'm a landlord from across the country. (laughs) All of this parts of of life that have always been very scary to me, things that I'm not actually very good at, I all of a sudden had to do very quickly. And it was scary. And it was scary because it wasn't just my own life, but I was making all these decisions for someone else. And it was really a time for me of fear. And I think a time where I've experienced this more than any other time in my life, experiencing the difference of when I tried to walk this out myself, I tried to face these fears myself, and when I sat in them with Jesus, and I invited his presence in, and I, and I believed the, the reality, and I trusted in the reality that he was with me, and so I was going to be okay. You see, I wasn't trusting in the reality that there was nothing to fear. These fears were very real. There was a lot at stake. There is a lot at stake in our lives. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that we have to live out in those things of fear, We can live it out with God being here with us. John 16, 3 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Uh, Yeah. Uh, there's the other one I didn't put in here, but Philippians 4, 7, that, you know, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord and he will give you the perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace comes from saying, hey God, this is the burden and it is too heavy for me and I can't hold it. And allowing God to go, here, hon, I got it. I'll hold it for you. You just journey with me. You see, the funny thing, the reason I showed you my happy place before is because as I was preparing this, I realized that my current happy place used to be my place of terror. 
literally my place of terror. So you saw the beautiful serenity, but let's go ahead and take a look out a little bit. You see everything in front of those lily pads? See all that seaweed? Okay, it's not sea, like lake grass. That was the most terrifying thing to me in my childhood because in that lake grass were tiny blood-sucking leeches that would take like an ounce of your blood, but they were the most terrifying thing to me possible. And the idea of getting one of those, I got one on me once, and, uh, and so I just, I hated getting anywhere close to this. And so because of my, my fears of getting into the water, I, I couldn't just like run off the dock and jump in. I was always a little too, I, could, I just couldn't do it. And so, I, but I loved to swim and I loved to be in the water. So I would go tubing and my uncle would take me on the tube. I would hold on for dear life because I didn't want to end up in that water. And he was like, you're going in. <laughs> and he would like flip me and eventually I would, you know, flip and fall and crash. And then the boat would run, you know, would go away in, in the midst when the boat's loud and no one could hear. I'd have my little panic attack and I'd start screaming. And then by the time I got back, I was fine and everything was good and I could swim the rest of the day. But on the way back to the dock, we lived on the swamp end of the lake. So on the way back to the dock, we'd always go by the swamp end, and I would scream bloody murder, get away from the swamp, and I would crawl over to the other side of the tube, and I'd hold on for dear life, and he'd just be laughing away. I was so afraid of these things, and now it's literally my most peaceful place I can possibly imagine. So what was the difference? I think there was two differences. The first one was the thing that I was trusting in. Because now, when I go back to this lake, I go out in a kayak. And for me, a kayak is a very secure vessel. You know, it's not gonna tip over, I've got paddles, I can get out of, that, the, all, out of all of this, the seaweed, and um, I'm gonna be okay. But with the tube, you know, the tube, you couldn't ever, you couldn't maneuver it. You had to actually, like, jump in the water to swim back to shore. And the tube was, it was precarious. It wasn't going to keep me out of the weeds that have the blood-sucking leeches in them. Uh, but the kayak, the kayak would. And I think this is so much like our journey, that when we're trusting in something that we know deep down isn't going to keep us out of the things that we're afraid of. It's not going to carry us safely through when we're trusting in ourselves, when we're trusting in the world, when we're trusting in other people. We know, we know, we know that we know that they will let us down. And so we fear. But when we are trusting in something that we feel like is secure and that's got us, we can, ident we can go through those same things, those exact same circumstances with a completely different outlook. I think the second thing, uh, we can go through the circumstances completely different outlook. Um, you see, the pathway to peace is trust because God is with you. The pathway to peace is trust because God is with you. What you're trusting in changes how you perceive the world around you. And I think that knowing that um, the next verse, that this is my very favorite verse, uh, you will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. It's this continual act of steadfastness that leads us to a place of peace. Knowing that God is with us, trusting him in the journey changes how we see our circumstances. The second thing that changed my place of terror into a place of serenity 
was experience, facing bigger fears. I moved to Florida. Blood-sucking leeches, alligators, sharks. <laughs> like the leeches really aren't that scary to me anymore because I've stepped into things that required me to press into my fears even more. And the more I step into those things, um, trusting in my vessel, the more that, then I was a- that I'm able to go back to these things that used to be really scary and look at them in a totally different way. And that's been really true on my journey with my dad. I'm almost two years into it. At this point, I'm like, eh, I could write a book. Like, this is what you need to do. I, I had a friend come recently, and, she, and, and he was like, yeah, my, my mom just had a heart transplant, and not heart transplant, <laughs> a valve replaced, and like, um, I just, she's going to need to go into a home. And I'm like, all right, these are the questions you need to ask. This is what you need to do. These are the things that are going to happen. And it's still a scary situation, but now to me, it's just normal every day because I've faced some pretty big fears. And the thing that God said to me in the moment that you would think would not be comforting, but was so comforting was, this is not the scariest thing that you will face. This is not the biggest challenge you will ever have. I have a lot of other things in life ahead of you. And this, this time of fear and terror is preparing you for how I'm going to have you walk into those things that will be even harder. Will you walk in them alone? Will you trust in something that you know doesn't have you? Will you try to step into the tube? Be precarious. I got this. I'll figure it out. Or will you step into a vessel that you know is going to hold you up, trusting that God is with you and he has you on this journey? So we're on a journey to wholeness made possible by the coming of Christ. We are on a journey to wholeness made possible by the coming of Christ. And so I want us to step into this journey together. Just take the first steps. Um, the things that we, that you, you know, just were reflecting on a few minutes ago, um, in just a couple minutes, I want you to actually turn to each other and share them. Because here's the thing, going back to our imagery of our broken bowl and our, and our perfect bowl, here's what we do. We know inside that we are but shards. Like, we know that. But we feel like we have to present this image of this perfect bowl. And so we like put them together and kind of like hold them up and walk around. I'm a bowl. I'm a good bowl. I'm a perfect little bowl. Really, we know we're a pile of shards. We're so broken. But it's that like hiding from each other. It's that hiding and not saying, yeah, here, here's my brokenness. Where's yours? That makes it not okay. Like it makes it scarier. It makes it harder. And when we come into the light and we go, here's my brokenness, will you, will you pray for me? I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to ask him to restore it. And then you go, oh, here's my brokenness. Will you pray for me? I want to give it to the Lord and ask it to restore it. And we journey together that we can actually see the restoration happen. So we're going to take just a couple more minutes, and I want you to turn to one person beside you. You won't have enough time to be in a group, so just Pick your favorite person. I know it might be hard if you're sitting between people. Okay, don't pick your favorite person. Pick a person. If it's somebody you know well, I want to encourage you to, to take a step of faith and be vulnerable and talk about this area of brokenness that God showed you in our earlier reflection. And then I want the other person to pray for you. 
Not give you advice, not tell you how to fix it, not, not say this is what you do, but to pray for you. And then switch. Okay, so we've got just a couple of minutes for this. But um, go ahead and pick your person now. And then these are the two things I want you to say. What are the areas of brokenness that you're currently aware of? And pray. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.